Chapter 4 of Snarled Identities. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Snarled Identities by Nicholas Carter. Chapter 4 The Detective's Halfway House. Jake had been in favor of cutting off all communication with the detective's residence in New York. It was not because he himself felt any great need of a holiday, but rather because he had an exaggerated notion that his chief was badly in need of a change. Nick, however, had vetoed this suggestion and left things largely to his butler's discretion. The butler had been in his service for years and had shown himself by no means a fool. If anything big develops, Nick had told him, do not hesitate to telegraph for me, or have me called on the long distance, if there isn't time to write. I don't want to miss an important case. The butler remembered these words now, and forgot that he did not even know the caller's name. Carried away by the man's air of authority, he blurted out the desired information. Mr. Carter is staying at the Bucks Head Inn, Little Saranac Lake, sir, he said. Many thanks. That's all I need. I'm sure Mr. Carter will respond at once when he hears what's in the wind. Gordon declared importantly, and having made a note of the address, thanked the butler again and returned to the waiting taxi. Green Eye had seen a great light as a result of the butler's incautious revelations, and all his previous plans had been discarded. In their place a new one was growing, a plan that promised to set a record for daring and to bring the detective nearer to professional shipwreck than he had been in all of his career. The new plan did not involve an interview with Nick. On the contrary, it was built upon the fact that the detective was hundreds of miles away, buried in the woods. Therefore, as may be guessed, Green Eye did not make use of the address the butler had given him. He was quite satisfied to have created the impression that he intended to communicate with Nick at once, and that the latter might return in the course of a day or two. The following morning an individual climbed the stairs leading to one of Nick's halfway houses, that particular one being on 125th Street. Nick Carter maintained a number of these places in different parts of the city, and in each of them he kept several complete changes of clothing and a supply of wigs, false mustaches, beards, makeup articles, and the like. Their mission is perfectly obvious. Under ordinary circumstances, it was safe enough for the detective and his assistants to disguise themselves at home and to return to their headquarters at their pleasure. When they were handling an unusually delicate case, however, or dealing with exceptionally clever lawbreakers, they found it necessary to take further precautions and these so-called halfway houses then came in handy. In other words, the secret basis of supplies, each of which had two exits, made it possible for them to leave and return to their headquarters openly, and without disguise, although the intervening hours might be devoted to the most relentless shadowing, carried on under all sorts of guises. The man who climbed the stairs at the 125th Street place, therefore, might easily have been Nick in the act of returning from some such expedition. He did not look in the least like the great detective, but that proved nothing, 
and his actions went far to indicate that he was Nick, or one of the latter's assistants. He boldly approached the door of the room, the location of which did not seem to give him the slightest trouble, despite the fact that there was nothing on the door to guide him. He seemed to have some little difficulty in getting the door open, to be sure, but after working at the lock for two or three minutes, he gained entrance. Many criminals would have given a great deal to know the location of one of those rooms, but Nick did not dream that one rascal had long since discovered the halfway house in Harlem. The man who had gained entrance by picking the lock was Green Eye Gordon, of course. He had learned of the place shortly before Nick had caught him, two years or more back, and had been more or less uncertain as to the present use of the room. The detective might have given it up in the interval, for all he knew, but he had resolved to put his knowledge to the test, and now he was rewarded, for a glance about the place showed him that it was still employed by the detective. Rows of clothing hung in orderly array on hooks along the walls. At one side there was a long mirror which enabled one to view oneself from head to feet, and between the windows at the rear was a dressing table which looked as if it might belong to some musical comedy star. So cluttered was it with makeup materials of all sorts. It was nearly an hour later when Ernest Gordon let himself out, locked the door behind him, after some further effort, and sauntered downstairs. Another complete transformation had taken place in his appearance. He was no longer the hunted criminal who had escaped from Clinton Prison, no longer the dressy individual who had presented himself at the detectives the day before. And least of all did he look like the man who had ascended those stairs some fifty minutes previously. Now to all intents and purposes he was Nick Carter himself. Not only was he wearing one of the excellent suits the detective kept for more respectable disguises, but in build, walk, features, and even expression, he was as much like Nick Carter as one pea is like another. His astounding plan had ripened into action. End of chapter 4 Recording by John Brandon